0: Welcome to The Alabaster Jar, a weekly conversation where we take on current issues impacting women at the intersection of faith, theology, and ministry. We are pleased to offer Alabaster Jar as a podcast of Northern Seminary. My name is Serene Musselman, and on today's episode, I sit down with our host, Dr. Lynn Kohick, to discuss the season of Lent and what the Gospel of John has to tell us about the importance of knowing God and being known. Lynn is Provost and Dean of Academic Affairs at Northern Seminary, and she is the founder of and executive director for the International Center for Women in Leadership. She began her teaching career at Messiah College, and her first seminary teaching experience occurred at the Nairobi Evangelical Graduate School of Theology in Kenya, where she taught pastors and church leaders from across the continent of Africa. Lynn taught New Testament at Wheaton College for 18 years, after which she served as provost and academic dean at Denver Seminary. Well, hi, Lynn. It's so great to sit down with you today for the Alabaster Jar. How are you doing? I'm doing well, Serene. How are you doing? I'm doing great. I'm looking outside. The sun is shining. We're thawing out here in the Chicagoland area. What are you excited about for this warmer weather?
1: Oh, I know. I love the fact that our paths through the woods are no longer frozen. So I can, well, back in the day I used to run. Now I'm in the jogging stage, but I'm moving. I'm I'm moving at a particular pace. Yeah. Without, um, slipping and falling and the dogs love it because they're out, able to sniff around all the new smells and all that. So yeah, it's kind of, it's, it's, uh, this change of season coming out of the cold and, uh, uh, into the sunshine and and warmer weather. It's um, kind of a nice image of Easter. Yes. <laughs> and yes, we are in exactly. the Lenten season now.
0: That's right. We, As we're recording this, we just started the season of Lent. So uh, what does this season mean to you as you reflect on uh, this time in the church calendar, what it means to observe Lent? What does that mean to you?
1: Yeah, well, I... Uh, I was part of uh, an evangelical church when I in high school and college, and in uh, my early twenties, that really didn't do a liturgical calendar. So I, I was unfamiliar with uh, with Lent for a long time, and and I've also seen how Lent can kind of be a um, a time where people give up stuff that they would like to give up anyway, kicking a bad habit, you know. <laughs> yes. Um, and so it didn't I wasn't drawn towards Lent because I just didn't see its uh spiritual purpose necessarily, but then um at at one point getting to know the uh the idea of Lent a little bit better, I started to think about what if I added something and I added a devotional practice rather than remove something like. I mean, I don't really like chocolate, but a lot of people I know stop eating chocolate for these forty days, you know. And so I started adding a, either a special prayer time or a special devotional work, or you know, some particular habit um, that that would draw me into a more reflective space to um, slow down, I guess, a little bit and um, be open to uh, the Holy Spirit speaking, whatever the the word is uh, for me. So yeah, how about you, Serene? How have you in, interacted with Lent in the Lenten season?
0: Yeah, it's interesting as you describe that. I think I've had a similar journey. I walked in circles with even now, you know, social media, there's so many posts about what we're giving up for Lent or people signing off of social media altogether. And it does seem to all center around what we're giving up. Uh, So I love the way that you just described that of instead, what is it that I can add almost? And I've, Started in the past few years of a practice of just asking myself in those sort of moments what it is that I'm learning about God and what it is that God is showing me about myself. And so um, I think that I've just learned to reflect in those moments so that, so that I don't miss maybe what it is that the Spirit has to show me. Uh, what do you think as you look back over these seasons of Lent, is there something for you that? You could say you've seen this, or you've come to know this about God, or you've come to see something about yourself um, more clearly through those practices of Lent.
1: You know, I I, I do live in my head, <laughs> sort of my uh, so the default is sort of cerebral. So I I think for Lent I try to be in a space of artistic beauty, whether that's. Uh, meditating on hymns or being in a chapel space that has stained glass where I'm reflecting or meditating on a picture or an image. Mm-hmm. Um, and in, in doing that, I think there's um, an, an experiential embodied um, component to things that, uh, that, that is my additional uh, yeah, my, what I add uh, to Lent, I should probably do that, you know, all the time. But um, like I said, trying to kind of step out of my usual routine and mm-hmm. um, experience God through different means that as he speaks to the church. Yeah, that's, and you mentioned just knowing, mm-hmm. uh, knowing God more deeply being known. And of course, that's, that's what we want to even talk about today is that idea.
0: Exactly. Yeah, we're talking about what it means to know and to be known, and we're actually going to look at some interesting characters in the Gospel of John. We're going to talk about Nathaniel and Peter and the Samaritan woman and discuss what things they may actually have in common. So I'm looking forward to hearing your thoughts on this, Len. What What is it that we see in their stories in John?
1: Yeah, well, I, I was drawn towards their professions of faith and even more, Jesus's knowledge of them. And I think there uh, and we can take a look at each of these stories in turn, but they there's an intimacy with each of these stories, where Jesus knows them deeply. and and in that uh, encounter where Jesus knows them deeply, they discover who Jesus is themselves. And so, yeah, that's what I think we could kind of play around with a little bit today.
0: Awesome. I'm excited. So why don't you uh, kick us off with what it is that you see happening there?
1: Yeah, so we'll go first to uh, John chapter 1. And in verse uh, 34, um, that's when uh, you have some... Disciples who begin to meet uh, Jesus, and Andrew, Simon Peter's brother, uh, meets Jesus and then tells um, tells Simon about it, and uh, then Simon meets Jesus, and Jesus says, "You will be called Cephas or Peter," and that's how he gets his name. And Peter's going to be a character that is on stage a lot in John's Gospel, but I'm going to. So he's kind of steps on stage now, but I'm going to not uh, talk about him much until uh, his last performance, if you will, uh, at the very end of the gospel. Because right after Jesus uh, meets Andrew and Peter, he then uh, talks with Philip, who speaks to his friend, Nathaniel. And Nathaniel is someone who is uh, very spiritually attuned, very interested in what God is doing at the time, looking for the Messiah. And so Peter says, you know, we found the one Moses wrote about in the law about whom the prophets also wrote. This is this is the guy. Come on and see him. Uh, this Jesus of Nazareth and Nathaniel's cynical reply. Nazareth, can anything good come from there? <laughs> he's he's very uh 21st century, you know, in his cynicism. And um, and so Philip says, Well, come on and see. And then you have this encounter where Nathaniel is walking towards Jesus, and Jesus says to him, Oh, here truly is an Israelite in whom there is no deceit. And uh Nathanael responds, Well, how do you know me? Jesus was not flattering him. Jesus was observing that Nathanael um, is someone who deeply cares about what God is uh, is doing. And using the word Israelite, which is a term that refers really back to ancient Israel, uh, that you don't call someone in Jesus' time an Israelite, you call them a Jew. Mm-hmm. So Jesus using the word Israelite is a reference of like a uh, it's like a uh, a no not a title but but it's it's reflects that he knows Nathaniel is a genuine upstanding righteous person and of course you wouldn't know that by his clothing he doesn't wear special clothing he doesn't have a special haircut there's nothing f- about his physical appearance that Jesus uh, in looking at him would say oh you know um, I can tell you're a Pittsburgh Steeler fan because you have a Pittsburgh Steeler t-shirt on, you know? <laughs> right. That's what he'd say to me, right? <laughs> um, so, so anyway, uh, Nathaniel, h- how do you know me? And then Jesus follows up. Well, I saw you while you were still under the fig tree before Philip called you. Ah, So Jesus has this special understanding of Nathaniel. There's no way that Jesus would have known this other than his, his prophetic knowledge. And of course, Nathaniel realizes that. And so he he declares, Rabbi, you are the Son of God. You are the King of Israel, which again harkens back to the Old Testament promise. The king David will have an heir who will sit on uh, the throne forever and ever, you know, have an eternal kingdom. So Nathaniel recognizes that Jesus knows him and and that intimate knowledge reveals to Nathaniel then who Jesus is and Jesus says well wow, I mean you believe because I told you you were sitting under a fig tree but you're going to see greater things the heaven open and the angels of God ascending and descending on the son of man whether that's a, a reference to um, the the trans that the transfiguration will happen or other uh realities um as jesus fully human and fully divine uh continues with his ministry but that but the the idea that i wanted to to say when we're thinking about being known and then knowing is jesus's knowledge of nathaniel led to nathaniel's worship of him mm-hmm. and and so it's a beautiful story
0: Yeah, and I think as you unpack that, there's a sense of hope and beauty to the way you're describing that. Sometimes we can have this idea that for God to know us, to know all of us, is actually uh, pretty intimidating. Uh, It could feel shameful for God to know all of those things about us that maybe we would prefer to keep hidden from the world. But it sounds to me, uh, maybe could you agree or disagree with this but it sounds to me that you're sharing with us that it doesn't have to just be about shame we don't have to be afraid of god knowing us when we see it through the light of a story like nathaniel's would you agree with that
1: oh absolutely absolutely and and you put your finger right on it at times we're so fearful but the the reality is god loves us and and he already knows i mean we might think he doesn't know, but he knows, but he knows in a way that invites worship, that invites knowledge ourselves, you know, that what uh, Nathaniel had longed for, the coming Messiah has now come. I mean, that it's a fulfillment of his hopes and that that's the encounter uh, with Jesus. You mentioned Shane and this is a nice segue though, into the second character that I wanna talk about, the Samaritan woman.
0: Yes. You said that there are some connections here. So I'm interested to hear what's the connection between the story that we just heard and a story that we hear about a lot, the story of the Samaritan woman. What's the connection that you're making here?
1: Right. Well, I think there's a lot of parallels. um, And we miss these parallels because we uh, jump to this woman being shameful Mm -hmm. uh, and being ashamed of her uh, sinful past. But I would suggest that There isn't a sinful past, uh, any more than like all of us have a sinful past. Even Nathaniel, of course, had sinned. Mm -hmm. But the overall point of the story uh, doesn't highlight specific sins of this woman, uh, but does highlight knowledge, the knowledge that Jesus has, and then her responding knowledge and worship. Yeah. So the Samaritan woman, uh, the woman at the well, which is in John chapter four, um, uh, starts with a conversation, kind of different than Nathaniel, because this is a Samaritan woman. So she doesn't; she's not going to be a righteous Israelite. <laughs> I mean, the, the um, Samaritans may have claimed that, but Jesus is not going to acknowledge that. But he does acknowledge her her being a Samaritan, and he wants to have uh, a conversation with her. Um, so he begins to, to ask her questions, including, can I have some water to drink? And immediately, of course, she realizes, well, he couldn't even drink the water if I gave it to him because he doesn't have uh, a bucket that I could put the water in that would keep the water pure so that he could drink it. If he uses water from my bucket, then uh, it will be deemed impure because I'm a Samaritan. And so, but Jesus kind of tries to break through that and and talk about uh, spiritual matters because he knows that she is spiritually hungry. And so when you kind of get to the parallel part in the two stories, the Samaritan woman has a particular history. She wasn't just sitting under a fig tree uh, and Jesus can't say, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. But he can say, I know what your family life has been like. And I can tell you that you've had five husbands, which is an, uh, a number of husbands that just, we don't find a parallel in the ancient world. That's a lot. Typically people, um, well, you might have as many as three want, uh Cause the death rate is so high, even among young adults that, uh, you might be, a woman might be widowed once or even twice. Um, and we know divorce happened. Um, and so there, you know, that not that women could, um, represent themselves in court. They always needed a male guardian to do so, but divorce was a possibility that women, if they found a guardian who would, uh, help them, they could be supported in their pursuit of divorce, um, and certainly men then could just also just divorce. So you could have some divorce, you could have some um, death that separated them, uh, you know, that ended the marriage, but five is a lot, and and it's it's the kind of knowledge that isn't a good guess, mm. in the same way that Nathaniel knew, here's an Israelite in whom there's no deceit. Isn't a good guess on Jesus's part. He he is making a claim that could only come from him being a prophet. Well, he's more than a prophet, but at least as a prophet, right? Mm-hmm. So then, when he uh, when Jesus is talking to the Samaritan woman, he knows she's had five husbands, and that the one he's she's with now is not her husband. Um, what you have said is true. Now that's a really important piece of things because Jesus um, is acknowledging her history, but he doesn't talk at all about that history being sinful. And in fact, the word true or truth throughout John's gospel has a very positive connotation. So in the dialogue itself, there doesn't seem to be a condemnation. So we have to ask ourselves, well, then what is the current situation of this woman? She's uh, with someone who's not her husband. what what does that mean? And you know certainly in some contexts that's an immoral relationship. But in other contexts it could simply refer to being a um, concubine. And I'd like to refer um, people to an earlier alabaster jar conversation that we had with Karen Reeder. and her book on the Samaritan woman can really fill out a lot of the possibilities on um, the on what this woman, Women's, woman's current situation is. The, but Jesus doesn't condemn in the way that he would uh, condemn someone in adultery, go and sin no more. Um, so within the dialogue itself, there's not any direct condemnation. Moreover, when she returns to her town and she says, similar to what Nathaniel did, I think this guy's the Messiah. Um, they believe her. And we just don't have record in the ancient world of men and probably women who see uh, immoral women as uh, reliable witnesses. <laughs> mm-hmm. So uh, the, the townspeople believe her and, and they believe with a, with a saving faith, right? Like they believe he's the savior of the world. We believed because of your testimony. We run out there to see him. We're even more convinced now. So this idea of true—she's a truth teller, right? But it, but it's not truth of some kind of past shame. It's just simply true about her life. She had a, a hard life. Whether she buried a number of husbands, whether she uh, was divorced by uh, other husbands, uh, the person that she's with now, whether she's a concubine or some other. Other situations which are not God's best, which are not uh, what, what he desires for his people, but nevertheless are seen as within the realm of moral within her society, right? So, you know, some things aren't God's best, but society puts up with them. And so we don't call that person immoral based on the context that they were living in at that time. So the, the, I know you that Jesus says uh, or demonstrates to her, I know you, I know your past. I know how you are uh, identified. Most women are identified uh, through their family members, um, whether they're the wife of or the mother of, the sister of, that's pretty typical, uh, very typical. Um, versus, again, Nathaniel, who would be known uh, by his religious stance, uh, men would be often identified more that way or their occupation, that kind of thing. So Jesus is identifying knowing these people um, in in ways that are uh, beyond a good guess, and both the Samaritan woman and Nathaniel recognize that and it leads them to worship. So they, they, in seeing that God knows them, that Jesus knows them, they then are able to know Jesus and worship him.
0: That's incredible. I, and that's so true. It, through that process of being known, it also causes them to to know more of God and to respond in kind to what the, the glory of what that is. Um, and it also seems to me, as you talked through those stories, that to know God and to be known also leads them to something more. Um, Jesus talked about that with Nathaniel, that you will see even greater things than this. Or the Samaritan woman, it was it was too good to keep to herself. That's what has always struck me about her story. It was so life-changing what she learned in that moment that she went back and told her entire town. And it was through her that then they also came to know Jesus. And And uh, it's just a great reminder that not only does Jesus want to, to know us, but Jesus also calls us into something more. He doesn't leave us right where we're at. Um, and that's an encouraging thing to me when I read both of those stories. Absolutely.
1: Absolutely. You know, he tells this uh, woman, he has this special living water, right? And then he goes on to tell her that in the future, uh, people will worship God in spirit and in truth, right? There's that word again, just remarkably deep theology. Mm -hmm. Um, And he says the same with to Nathaniel, you're going to see even greater things, you know? And so the, uh, it, there's a growing relationship, right? You know, that you know something and then you know more and you go deeper and yeah, it's...
0: Exactly. And I can't help but think, you know, you and I have gotten to know each other better over this past year of doing episodes for the Alabaster Jar. We've often sat across the screen from each other with our coffees and our hot chocolates and chatted and gotten to know more about what God's doing in our own lives. And if you were able to sit down with any of the people in these stories that we just talked about that Jesus interacted with and have a cup of coffee or hot chocolate or whatever that looks like. uh, What would you want to know about them more? What questions would you ask them?
1: Yeah. Yeah. Um, Between Nathaniel and the Samaritan woman. uh, Well, I, I think I would like to know. Uh, I, I think it might be several cups of hot chocolate with the Samaritan woman to kind of hear hear how she kept her faith in God. I mean, the Samaritans read the the five books of Moses. Uh, they they didn't have the correct theology, um, but they uh, they were on a path and. The tragedies that happened in her life and yet she's able in the moment where the messiah is present before her she's able to recognize that i i would just love to have her reflect on how she persevered mm-hmm. to be ready at that point at that moment when her lord appeared so i think i think that'd be the question i'd i'd want to ask her and that might be a long answer um and with nathaniel um i think i think i'd just love to hear uh what that moment of joy felt like you know nathaniel also we find him at the very end of of john's gospel he's there and he sees the resurrected christ so maybe and i know we're going to talk about that in a minute but i maybe i'd also ask him um to kind of compare those moments, that moment when he confessed uh, that Jesus is King of Israel, and then he saw the risen King of Israel. Um, yeah, what, how, how that shaped his uh, devotional
0: life uh, going forward. Yeah, absolutely. Let's turn it around the other way. What would you want them to know about you? What, uh, what would you want them to know about Lynn Kohick?
1: Oh, yeah. Well, um, boy, what would, and maybe they would ask me, um, maybe they'd ask me about my time over in Kenya, which was an important, uh, in so many ways, important to my faith. But and, And there I would say I saw an expression of Christianity, the dedication of Christians who, from a material standpoint, had very little. But from a dedication to uh, living out the gospel, it it was miles and miles and miles ahead of me. And being challenged by brothers and sisters there with um, uh, embracing the good and the bad. Um, They had a phrase, the Lord is good, and someone would respond all the time, and then would say, all the time, and the other person would respond, "The Lord is good," and that was in the face of uh, uh, real physical struggles, which can also lead to emotional struggles. Um, and, uh, and so, I'd probably uh, reflect a bit on how my understanding of the all sufficiency of God expanded um,
0: while I was while I was with. Uh, with them, yeah, hmm. that's beautiful. Well, any closing words of encouragement for our leaders today, as we talk on this topic of what it means to know and to be known? Uh, any encouragement yeah. that you would leave them with?
1: Well, yeah, I think I think we do want to talk about Peter, right? Because Peter is the uh, is the example of sometimes getting it wrong. So we've we've talked about sort of two heroes, if you will, mm-hmm. Nathaniel and the Samaritan woman, but. Peter in chapter 13 of John feels really confident, right? He, you know, Peter said in chapter eight, or sorry, in chapter six, Jesus, you're the one that has the word of eternal life. Great. You know, you're the Holy one of God. Sounds like Nathaniel here. And then in chapter 13, he says, Jesus, I will die for you. Um, you know, but Jesus responds, and here's Jesus's knowledge. Uh, jesus says before the rooster crows you will disown me three times so here's a type of special knowledge that jesus has as in his prophetic wisdom um, that is not the positive comments that he made uh to to nathaniel or the observations of special knowledge that he had regarding the samaritan woman um he tells Peter, you're going to deny me. And I think we all know that, that in fact he does, Mm -hmm. uh, Peter does deny him. And, um, and it crushes Peter. Um, but, and, and he, he goes back to fishing. And so when we get to chapter 21, And we have the risen Lord who appears there on the shores of the Sea of Galilee. And we have the miraculous catch of fish where Peter recognizes his identity. Um, There's a conversation that they have. Three times Jesus asks Peter, do you love me? Right. And by the third question, uh, which Peter always answers, yes, you know, I do. Peter is... Uh, sad, you know that he keeps answering, "I I love you, I do." Um, maybe he's remembering Jesus's earlier teachings. If you love me, you'll obey my commandments. Mm-hmm. Um, this is a this is a time where Jesus is inviting Peter to know himself more, more mm-hmm. deeply. Um, Jesus says to Peter, "Love me more than these." And these might be his uh, occupation pointing to, you know, these fish that you've caught. You've gone back to being a fisherman, but that's not what I have for you. You're to shepherd my sheep. Hmm. And so I guess what I would say in this time of Lent, Mm -hmm. anytime really, but we're in the time of Lent where we can be self-reflective there There. We, we we needn't be afraid of the knowledge that Jesus has he knows when we will fail he's we see that in Peter's story but he seeks us out and he makes it right and in in so doing we understand who we are better mm-hmm. and we we know that we are deeply loved mm-hmm. no matter what because because God uh, will seek us out and will continue to work in and through us for his good purposes to bless his church and bless the the people of the world so um i would say that in in all these three cases being known by jesus is a is a good and wonderful thing um it indicates that we are loved uh, by by jesus incredibly deeply even when, I'm not even saying if, when we falter, He seeks us out, uh, helps us know ourselves better so we can love Him more deeply and receive His love uh, more freely.
0: Yes. And even as you described that interaction with Peter and relating it to the season of Lent, It reminds me that we don't have to shy away from um, the feelings of grief or sadness that this can stir up. There can be amazing joy that takes place when we know and when we are known. But there also can be feelings of sadness and grief. And even the story of the Samaritan woman, like you said, we don't really know what led her to have five husbands. It could have been great grief in her life, depending on what that situation was. Um, And Jesus met each of those people right there in that place and in their story. And so um, I hope that as our listeners have heard us uh, talk through these stories today, that they can see themselves in the story as well, that Jesus is inviting them to be known as well and to know that they're loved and that Jesus sees them right where they're at. Um, So thank you for sharing uh, and teaching us today, leading us through these stories. It's been uh, really encouraging to me. I hope for our listeners it has been as well. Uh, Thank you, Lynn. Oh,
1: you bet, Serene. It's always nice to visit with you and um, just share our love of the Bible together.
0: Yes. Agreed. All right. Listeners have a wonderful rest of your day, whatever it is that you're doing. We'll see you back here next time on the Alabaster Jar. You've been listening to another episode of the Alabaster Jar podcast. If you would like to learn more about Lynn's work or discover more information about Northern seminary and the center for women in leadership, we've left links to all of that information in today's episode description. We post new episodes every Tuesday, so be sure to subscribe and share this link with a friend so that you can join us back next week for another conversation on the alabaster jar.